Welcome to Abby and the Mustangs. This podcast connects Mustang lovers everywhere and sparks conversations in an effort to promote the adoptions of American Mustangs. I'm your host, Abby Condi. Welcome back to my show, and this is going to be another interview episode, and today we're going to be hearing from an extraordinary young woman who goes by Iris the Nomad, and she has planned an incredible trip across the United States with four Mustang mares, so we're going to hear from her and hear her story. So Iris, welcome to the show, and if you could maybe just tell the listeners a little bit about yourself and kind of why you have started this adventure with these four Mustangs. Hi, um, thank you for having me on the show. Um, I am Iris, and I um, started this idea a couple of years ago about these Mustangs. Um, I have been traveling for the last seven years or so, not full-time. I left home when I was 18, right after high school, and went to Australia to travel in a camper van for two years. That's where I got my border collie dog, Zeke. And from there, we traveled, and I decided not to return home and continue traveling. And I ended up in Canada. Before I left Australia, I had read a couple pages of a book and in this book, it's about a guy from Australia that does a nomadic trip on well, uh, on Mongolian horses through uh, Mongolia and Pakistan and more that side of the world. And this guy had, hadn't had much experience with horses or packing, and he did this 10,000-kilometer packing trip. And I was like, hey, I can do that. <laughs> I actually have years of experience with horses because I've grown up riding horses. I've been riding since I was like seven or eight years old. And I've always had in my mind to do the, to do the Pacific Rest Trail, to hike that. And that was one of the reasons I went from Australia to this side of the world is because I wanted to do the Pacific Crest Trail. And then once I read those pages of that book, I came up with the idea, why don't I combine my two favorite hobbies? horses and hiking so that's where kind of that idea started from then I came to Canada and I've been in Canada for the last four and a half years um, getting my permanent residency here because I want to stay here I want to make this my home and but in those last couple of years I've been working still towards this dream that I started about well four and a half five years ago now and it's slowly coming together. Um, I've now got my pro residency here, so I'm kind of more settled and more secure. And then in last November, I picked up four Mustangs. So when you and, so when you first decided to pick them up, how did you go about? I mean, even like what was the first step to saying, okay, I'm ready, I'm about to go pick them up? Like, what was the first step in that? Okay, so actually, I I went a little too quick here. So the first step for me was deciding what kind of um, 
what kind of horse would be the best suitable for what I wanted to do. So originally, it was only going to be the Pacific Crest Trail and do that on horseback. Mm-hmm. Then I, I saw a documentary, and these guys did the Continental Divide Trail with Mustangs, and that's where actually my idea came from to use Mustangs, because they were just tougher, a little slightly tougher horses than your domesticated horse. Mm-hmm. Just a bit more sturdy, because if in the wild, if they get sick or they get injured, they die. Um, so they are generally speaking, I think, are just a little bit tougher in that sense. So that's where the idea came from to use Mustang horses. And also, then I started more, looking more into the like Mustang horses and what it's all about, and the whole idea of getting them gathered and having to get them adopted out to find you know, homes for them because there's just too many out in the lands. Um, I was, I thought that was a really good cause. Like, I'm not necessarily rescuing poor horses, but I'm helping poor horses give a good home. And also by doing this trip, I'm actually kind of bringing them back into the wild. Now domesticated, I guess, but they're from the wild and now they're going to go do this trip with me back into the wild. And so that's where the idea came from to use Mustangs. And once I was settled on that, that's where the searching started. I just literally just put a post up on Facebook asking for Mustang trainers. Because I know here in Canada, there there aren't really, it's not really a thing here in Canada. It's really mainly in the States. So I knew that I had to find one in the States. And that's where my search started. And put a Facebook post up and I got probably about 15 trainers contact me and I had a couple of inter- phone interviews and I ended up settling on going with Erica Hunter in Arizona. And um, that's, um, that's where their journey started. There wasn't really a set date and time from the beginning. It just kind of went, we just went with the flow and I just eventually Wow, so when you were ready to go pick them out, did you kind of have like an idea of what you wanted to see at the pens or were you just kind of like, you know what, I'm going to let the horses speak to me and when I get there, we'll see what it is and and pick, you know, some good horses out. I mean, what was the whole, we just want to know the whole journey of, you know, the mindset, you know, going down there and picking them up because really, um, I love, I absolutely love the idea that you have and, you know, the journey that you guys are currently on because it's it really is amazing that you took them we took them from the wild and now they have this amazing home and they're so lucky to be able to even go back out to where they came from and you know they have more of a purpose now you know they're going to make this long trip it's going to be fulfilling and I think that you know that's what they're made to do so that's just really incredible um but yeah so what what were you looking forward to you know going to the pens to to pick them up I actually had no idea what to expect like I tried to prepare myself as much as I could and of course I went there with a certain like I was looking for a certain type of horse I am a gelding kind of person I have never really gotten along with mares and I ended up with four mares (laughs) (laughs) I the way I kind of live my life like I go with the flow like everything happens for a reason I was meant to have these four mares and not have four geldings um so I, I had no idea what to expect. We drove down to California to Ridgecrest, and we ended up 
getting there in the evening and we were able to drive around the corrals and they gave us um, there were a couple of corrals we could choose from that were available like still uh, authority mm-hmm. so but I had to buy them I couldn't adopt them because of what I'm going to do with them they're going to be too on the move too much mm-hmm. so I had to buy the horses and so we went and had a quick look that evening and we when we when we were there, we looked for the horses that came to the, up to the fence, and then the ones that were there, we would look at like how they build their legs, their hooves, and then we would try like do a little spook test. We're kind of threaten them, and then see which horse would stay or which horse would run away but come back right away. So we wanted to get those kind of horses. We wouldn't we wanted horses that were curious, but not really like, not too scared. And so we wrote down some tag numbers that evening, and um, there was one horse, which is now named Senya, um, that was that evening already like, yeah, we're going to take her home. We kind of already knew. She was a little pushy, but she was like, me, 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 me. Like, <laughs> I'm here. I love, I love you already. So we talked to her, yeah, she's probably going to be one of them. And so the next morning, we actually came back before they opened up. So we went back around the corral to the same pen and had a look again. And then we looked at the ones that came to the fence again. And so we had a couple, like a list of numbers written down. And there were these four numbers that were, we were looking at these four horses. And like, oh, I was like, write these numbers down. Or like, we already written those down. And we had like a little star in front of them which kind of meant that they were uh, higher on our list mm-hmm. uh, of the horses that we potentially would like. So um, those four came to the fence again, and it was, was awesome. And then actually almost all the other horses left, and they stayed. They stayed at the fence, and there's actually a picture of me with them that morning, the four that I ended up picking out. Um, yeah, that was, they, they chose me. I didn't choose them at all. Uh, like I had no choice in this. <laughs> well, that's a mare for I, you. I <laughs> yeah. So then, so what then happened? So they were really kind at the corral to bring them up to the front and put all like this was a pen of seventy horses and put them in five smaller pens so we could have a closer look at all of them because I didn't want to just go off like looking from so far away and not being able to see the rest of the herd, only the ones at the fence. So. We were able to look at the entire um, 70 horses that they brought to the front. And there were a couple that I were like taller or um, were just a little bit nicer build, but then they're either too scared. And then there were some that we thought were really good horses, but then we thought there was something a little wrong with their leg or elsewhere. So at the end, we ended up taking these four, and we actually, in that morning, we joked that we will probably end up with these four horses, and even after a couple of hours of sorting through all the other horses, we still came back to those four horses. Wow. I mean, when you know, you know, and typically it's going to be pretty easy. If they've picked you out, then um, you're probably going to be stuck with them in your mind. But that's pretty funny that it turned out that all four of them were mares and you're more of a gelding person. I mean, mares will do that to you. So um, that's pretty awesome. So can you so now that you have gotten to know each of these four horses, I mean, how long have you had them now? 
So, well, I've, they've been at Erica's for the majority of the time. They were there from November until the end of June because of COVID. I wasn't able to come in April, and luckily I was able to come get them by the end of June and bring them home. Um, I was very, very lucky. Yeah. Um, if, if I hadn't been able to go pick them up, I, I would have had to cancel everything, the entire dream, the entire trip. Um, now it's just postponed. Like, I'm still not doing it this year, and most likely not even next year, just because of where everything is going right now. Mm-hmm. The borders are still closed, so I don't. we don't know when they're going to open. Um, so I don't really have high hopes for even 2021, but I'm aiming for 2022 and now that I have them here we have now two years to prepare and the main reason actually the first reason we decided to that I decided to bring them home originally postponing years because they ended up being younger than we thought they were because when we picked them up they kind of tell you their age or the roughly and um they were supposed to be four years old coming on five years old but they're actually three so that was a lot younger mm-hmm. and it's a little too young for what I want to do with them so I decided to at least postpone one year and then COVID happened so now I might have to postpone, postpone for two years mm-hmm. um, but I have them at home since early July mid-July early mid-July so how uh, are go ahead so a couple of months yeah three months or so wow and i bet you're probably much happier to have them home than to be you know waiting and waiting all these months for you know an opportunity to go down and get them that has to be a huge weight off your shoulders too i mean i would hate that yeah it's a huge weight off my shoulders like i said if i hadn't been if i wasn't able to go get them when i did i would have had to tell them and give up on my dream entirely at that point in time just because it's unaffordable to keep to have them down in the state mm-hmm. i can i have them here at home i can take i see them every day i'm here every day with them and now also i get to know them and get to train them and work with them they're like i had to pull them out of training because it gets too expensive mm-hmm. yeah so how are they doing how far along are they in their training at this point at this point Two got injured. Oh no. Um, we were doing really good up until that point. Um, two of them are broke to ride, and one of them is broke to ride and packed as well. And two of them are not broke yet at all uh, to ride or pack. So I took my best one, which is also my favorite. Her name is Freya. She's also the tallest. <laughs> Um, I took her and actually the one that's the least experienced, Zola, she's really skittish. I took them into the mountains about, yeah, three or four weeks ago and hiking. We didn't ride them. Uh, I had a friend with me. We hiked for two days. It was an overnight camping trip. And unfortunately, Freya cut open her back leg all, all the way to the tendon. tendon. Oh, my gosh. And so, and then my other horse that... Zola, we had with us, she, well, we, obviously, after we got out of there, we had to hike out, out of the mountains for 10 kilometers uh, with an injured horse and an, another horse that 
has never had packs on her back that we now had to crash course uh, training uh, packing. Oh, that man. Morning, <laughs> the next morning, we had to give her a real quick crash course, and she did amazing. Um, but she, once we got back down or back into civilization, I guess, we, I took them both to the vet. I was first was going to drop Zola off at home, but then I was like, you know what? I'm going to get the vet check her over because I checked her quickly. She didn't seem injured at all. She wasn't lame, but the vet did indeed see the back of her knee was really swollen, and they were worried um, that she would have also torn a tendon or chipped the bone um, or did something to her leg as well, and they wanted to just prevent anything and see what was going to happen with her. So I had to wreck her leg for a week, and she ended up being fine. It was just bruising. Although, since that, I haven't actually lunged her to see if she's lame. Just because I haven't had the time, I've been slammed working overtime to pay for these set bills. Mm-hmm. And Freya, she's doing okay right now. She might need to her leg might need to be put in a cast, and she needs to be in that for probably six weeks, and then hopefully she'll be okay. She's doing really good right now. She is not lame on her leg at all. And I was just blown, and this is why I, this is like the reason I chose Mustangs. When we were out there in the mountains, we, this was day one when she got injured. Mm-hmm. Like, and there was a deep wound and so and it was evening it was getting dark we pulled the packs off her got her out of this difficult section where she got injured put, put the packs back on her hiked to camp camped and stayed overnight this was their first time overnight camping in the mountains as well and they did really great during the night and the next morning I was really worried that she was going to be so lame that she couldn't hike out of there and she was lame, but not that lame. Mm-hmm. And we hiked 10 kilometers up a mountain the next day. So we're out there for four to five hours. And we had to give my other horse a crash course in packing. She was just such a trooper. And, <laughs> and my the horse that's injured, like, as well, just being able to stay so calm. Like, that evening, I was able to wrap her leg and without her moving, without her doing anything stupid. Like, she was so calm the entire time. They both were. And just been able to hike out of there with an injured horse, with a horse that doesn't know how to pack yet, and just does it. And I was like, this is exactly why I got these kind of horses, why I've got them, because they've got just such good minds. They have such a good mindset. They don't do anything stupid. Like, she got injured. That was entirely my fault. It wasn't her fault. She didn't do anything stupid. It was a very difficult uh, section of trail, and I should have taken her packs off mm-hmm. for this section. And because of her packs, she got thrown off balance and caught, um, cut her leg on a sharp rock. If I'd taken the packs off prior, that probably would have never happened. Mm-hmm. So I don't blame her at all. Like She was amazing through it all. Even once she was injured... She still didn't freak out. She was, the entire time, she was so calm. And I was like, this is what I need. This is what I need out in the mountains. It's a really calm horse that have a good mindset that just keep going when they need to. 
Yeah. And that's awesome, too, that even in a really stressful situation, you guys were able to get out of there safely with, you know, obviously they were still injured. But I mean, you live and you learn. And I'm sure they learned a whole lot from that experience, especially the less experienced mayor. Um, You said her name was Zola, right? Um, Yes. Yeah, and so that's just so amazing and good for her. That's so sweet. And, you know, I mean, she was like, oh, man, big sister's down. Now I got to kind of carry the team here. But, um, I mean, that's one way to uh, rip off the Band-Aid, get it out of the way, you know, to try and see how she did. And I'm sure she did, you know, really well, like you're from what you're saying. So that's awesome. And I'm sure you're really pleased with these four mares. So the other two, um, since they're not broke to ride or anything like that, what's your plan for them? Uh the other two, one of them is, so Zola is the one that's not broke to ride yet. Oh, okay. She wasn't broke to ride or pass. Mm-hmm. And Freya, the injured one, uh, she's broke both. She can pack and ride. And then we have Dina and Fenya. Fenya is the one that we, at the corrals, we're like, yeah, we're taking her. Mm-hmm. Uh, she's not broke to ride yet because she's a little, she's very much a mare. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and then we have Dina. Dina from day one has been a really good horse. Like, I think in the future she will become an extremely good kid's pony. Mm-hmm. She's also very, she's very sweet. She like, she loves being loved on. And she's broke to ride. She's actually uh, really solid on the saddle. Um, she has had the most rides on her. But actually, because uh, I've taken them out on the trails as well, just the local trails. Um, and I've ridden her on trails as well. She's not very confident on the trails, but she's very confident at home in the arena around that. She's fine. As soon as we go out on the trails, even if I just lead her, she is not very confident yet, but it will come. They're all very young. Mm -hmm. So I give them time, and that's part of training, right? They can't be perfect from the get-go. Like, they need to learn, and that's, you know, what the training is for. Yeah. To um, to overcome those obstacles. Mm -hmm. Definitely. And the older they get, too, they'll mature a little bit more with their minds as well as their bodies. And it's, yeah, just like you said, just like any horse, they just need more miles and more experience out on the trail. And I'm sure once you finally make your trip, I mean, you're going to know better than anybody because, you know, you know these horses from day one. Um, You'll know, you know, when they're ready to go. And I'm sure that they will perform exactly the way that they're supposed to when you guys finally get going. Because, yeah, they're totally built for that kind of um, terrain. I mean, the nature literally shaped and bred these horses. I mean, that's what my favorite thing about them is. It's like you can't make them any more perfect than how nature made them, you know. So um, that's why, I mean, I just love Mustangs so much. I'll tell I'll tell anybody who will listen um, about how amazing they are. And so I think that's a really big testament to what you're doing as well because at the completion of your trip and even now, I mean, you're able to advocate for them and really tell people, hey, you know what, this is this really difficult trip that we did and these horses got me there. And so I think that's really exciting. I would, if I was you, I would be so excited because I saw that documentary as well with the, you know, the gentleman that took the horses from Mexico to Canada and that's like a dream of mine too. I'll probably never get around to do it. Maybe I will, maybe something similar, but I mean, you're going to go out and do your own trail. So can you explain maybe um, kind of where your journey is going to take you? Like some of us might not know, you know, exactly every part of um, the trail that you were talking about, but where, like what states will you be able to um, ride in? So the, the actual trip, like trail itself has 
so many times. I've, I've added on, I have taken some off. I'm like, I'm always, it's always ever changing. And I, I don't think until the data actually starts, I probably still won't know what I'm going to be doing and where I'm going to be going. Because <laughs> I have a general direction. Uh-huh. So the continental divide trail is actually a long distance hiking trail. And that's my general trail, like the general direction. I might veer off of that here and there because locals will tell me, go this way, it's more beautiful or less touristy or whatever they will tell me. I like, I said, I kind of go with the flow and see where life really takes me. Mm-hmm. So for me, the continental bike trail goes from Canada to Mexico or the other way around. Um, so, but that's where I have so far decided to start, but this might change yet again uh, in the meantime. But at the moment, the plan is to start in Montana and then right south towards the, uh, towards the Mexican border. So that's Montana, Wyoming, Colorado, New Mexico, and all through like the national parks and all the mountain ranges. And then once I get down south, so I'll start around June or depending on that year, I'll have to look at the snow, um, what the snow is doing in the mountains because I need to wait for the snow to melt in order to get through the mountains. Um, so I'll start somewhere end of June and right down south. And then I want to be down in like New Mexico around the start of winter, like fall. And then from there, I want to connect to the Pacific Crest, which is on the west coast, and it goes from Mexico to Canada or the other way around. And but there is no actual trail that connects them. There's a couple of trails that somewhat go in that direction, but not really. So that section I haven't really put much thought to. I'm like, by the time I get down there, I'll figure it out. Like, I'll, <laughs> I'll, connect, it, I'll connect it somehow. I'm sure I'll find, figure it out. But from there, I would ride west towards the Pacific Crest Trail, and I want to be down south in winter because... Down south is too hot in summer to ride, and mm-hmm. winter is perfect temperatures, and I can't really be in the mountains in winter anyway, so that's the perfect place and time to be in winter for my trip. And that way I can make it a continuous or somewhat continuous trip. And then once I hit the Pacific Crest Trail, which is, goes through California, Oregon, and Washington, um, I would go back north, but I might hit the Sierra Nevada while there's still snow there, so that's where there might be a point in my trip where I have a break, where I might come back to Canada for a couple of months, work a little bit more, um, and wait until the snow melts, go back to where I stop, and then continue when the weather allows me to continue and ride back to Canada. And this is where originally I was going to connect back to the Continental Divide Trail. There is the Pacific Northwest Trail which is a hiking trail, but they're starting to make more um, stop accessible. Um, that is still on the fence, and that's even once I'm on my trip, I that is too far in advance to be able to plan. I have no idea what's going to ha- going to happen. Like I've had my horses now for three months at home, and within like a month and a half, two of them got injured, and this is the reason I got four. Because now, if I was out in the trail, I could swap them out. I could get my other two horses in and not have to completely abandon my trip. 
kind of seeing where the journey takes you so how yeah. long do you think that this trip will take you oh that's hard to say i you know like i said it's so unpredictable you mm-hmm. never know what's going to happen also you never know what kind of decisions i will be making right i can be very spontaneous and i can be like oh i want to do this right now i want to go here so i might veer off all of a sudden and take now an extra month but um i think the trip, like, if I start in at the Canadian border and, uh, let's say, I will get stuck in front of the Sierra, by the Sierra Nevada, that I think would take me about eight to nine months. I It's approximately six weeks per state. And it depends on the terrain, too. So that's kind of, I've talked to some other people that have done long-distance packing trips and also on these specific kind of trails. And they say, like, some people that have done these ones or sections of them, they say it's approximately six weeks per state, uh, give or take. Um, So I would say it would take me about eight months if everything were to go all right. And then if I have to leave um, for a couple months to wait out winter, and then the last leg would take me probably about another six months or so. So that would be about a year and a half, but that being said, it's probably going to be double that because that's how life goes. Mm-hmm. Wow, and I wouldn't even know how to go back to normal life after that would be your life for an entire year and a half, possibly more. I, I think I would probably just end up being like a squatter somewhere in the forest. I would totally not want to return to civilization. I mean, that's incredible. And you plan to do this completely by yourself. I mean, obviously with your two horses, but no one else, you know, riding with you for the most of this? No. No, uh, 
with the loan, originally, you know, people still ask me, oh, you're going to do the loan, it's so dangerous. Like, for me, it's, it has been my dream for so long, and it's so hard to find someone um, that would share the same dream. Like, I am, I've traveled so much, I've traveled mainly alone, like, almost, like, 95% of the time I've traveled solo, anywhere I went, Australia, everywhere, I go, has been alone, and with my dog. And, and when I do travel with other people, I struggle. I know personally, just as the kind of person I am and my personality, I don't like to compromise as much <laughs> or at all, really. So I know because it's my dream, if someone were to join me, it's going to be really difficult for me because now you have to think about them and their needs and you might have to now do things differently. And I'm a little extreme on certain things so I'll push a little farther a little harder than most like than a lot of people would so I I just think it would be really difficult for me to find the right person to go with but I am definitely open for people joining me for sections like for a day or two or like oh I live pretty close by can I join you for like a week absolutely so that's kind of what I'm more counting on for people that will kind of join me here and there or even the continental divide from the Pacific Crest will have a lot of hikers, so I don't, I will never be entirely alone. But mm-hmm. There will be days where I will be, that I will be entirely alone, but I think the majority of the days I will see people, so I just might not have like a com- like someone traveling with me for the entire time. Uh, in that sense, yes, I would be doing it alone, uh, but I have my dog. she'll go with you that's awesome and so how do you think I mean will you document your journey as you go along I want to I want to do it myself like the people like oh a lot of people like you should like learn how to do it properly and or get like some sort of film crew or get it done somehow somewhat professionally and I'm like no I'm gonna do it myself it's gonna be raw it's gonna be iris going to be me doing my thing and I'm actually incredibly bad when it comes to social media and when it comes to taking videos or pictures I really try to always live in the moment which is not like I should take more pictures because you know eventually over the years you're going to forget memories and when you look at a picture that comes back so I definitely have to teach myself to take more pictures and videos Um, but I do want to document it as much as I can but that being said, I know myself too well, and I will do it for a week or two, and then nothing happens after that. But, <laughs> you know, maybe, maybe this trip will change all of that, maybe because you know, it also depends on how many, like, people support me or follow me. It was, the more people that actually enjoy watching it, the more motivated I get to video it or take pictures and put uh, post content, because... It just like oh people are actually interested in what I'm doing and I've always done everything just alone and by myself and you know why why would I and then it's like you know I just live a normal life like everybody else but I guess this trip will be quite a bit different and I think a lot of people will be interested in it and want to follow the journey so I'm definitely gonna try my best I've already been trying to document their progress, like their training progress when we go out in the mountains, when they're, um, you know, their first packing trips or their first time out in the mountains or things like that. 
Yeah, absolutely. That's awesome. Um, I've always imagined like if I went on a long trip like that, I would always take like a Polaroid camera because I think those are so cool in like the old old fashioned, you know, kind of way that like it captures a moment, you know, and then you have that forever and you don't have to take it into a Walmart or anything to get processed. I mean, you have that memory right there. You can put it in a scrapbook. You can put it in your wallet, whatever. Um, but yeah, that makes sense. You know, the more people that, you know, are following you and supporting you, um, the more you'll be motivated to um, document your journey. And I know that I will be watching because I already follow your page. And so I've seen, you know, your um, photos and updates on the mares and stuff. And I just think it's so amazing. And that's why I wanted to reach out to you and do this podcast interview. So thank you so much for being here. Um, for anybody out there that has not adopted a Mustang or just isn't sure and they're on the fence, what advice or what um, message would you give to them about the Mustangs? Oh, that's a tough one, actually, because there's so much that can be said about them and for them. Um, the one thing I will say is now that I've had these four, have these four Mustangs, I've always had taken care of domestic animals. I will never turn back to a domesticated horse. <laughs> I will always get a Mustang. I will never... I know domesticated horses are also great, but I know if I ever get another horse, it is going to be a Mustang. I will it's just, you can't change my mind on that. I will never have get a domesticated red horse, ever. <laughs> <laughs> That's <laughs> awesome. Like, yeah. Um, and I know there's a lot of uh, misconceptions sometimes about them. Uh, them, you know, being untrainable or more aggressive and... At the end of the day, they're all animals, too. So you can have an aggressive uh, wild horse, but you can also have an aggressive domesticated horse. It, it doesn't, in that sense, I don't think it makes, like, a huge difference when people, like, start talking about those kind of subjects. Um, but, yeah, like, like I said, I would never go back to a domesticated animal. And even the vet, since... I had to take them to the vet. They were, they actually were blown away by how well behaved my horses were for being three year olds and well, nine months ago, 100% well, nine months ago. And they behave better than any domestic horse that they have seen, like, that, that, like a three year old domestic horse that they've seen, like coming through the clinic. Yeah. We were at the clinic. Till 9 p.m. at night, being pitch black. My Zola loading her in the trailer. Pitch black, just loads in the trailer. And she's only been, like, she, they haven't been up on the trailer for, like, that many times. Maybe 20 times or so. And that was probably the second time that I had to load her in pitch black. And no problem, no fuss. And the vet was like, wow, some domesticated three-year-olds should take notice of this. I'm like, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they should. <laughs> right. That's amazing. Yeah. 
Well, I mean, that is, I mean, I can't really say anything to that. I think it speaks for itself. You know, anybody listening, this is why I'm here with this podcast. And this is why Iris chose those Mustangs to take on her journey because they really prove themselves in ways that domestic horses just don't. Um, And I mean, they will give you 110% with their heart, you know, more than any horse I've ever worked with that was domesticated. And I mean, obviously, you're going to have your heart horses that are domestic horses. I'm not saying that that's not possible but the mustangs they're just different there's something about them um you have to experience it for yourself um you know you can't just hear it from me and you know okay whatever you have to experience it for yourself because it really is amazing and it's magical um so iris thank you so so much again for being on the show and for telling us your story and i cannot wait to see you know in 2022 or whenever you make this trip i'm so excited to see how it goes for you and um, maybe if I still have this podcast in two or three years we can do a follow-up on how your journey was um, and things like that so again thank you so much for being here this episode is brought to you by crossbow equine services Kylie Bowen owner founder and CEO of crossbow equine is offering services to coach you in your equine business needs as a trainer and equine entrepreneur herself Kylie has the knowledge from learning through past mistakes as an early business owner and knows the equine industry from the inside out. Equine sales marketing, leveraging social media, and helping you develop your brand are just some of the things that she does best when it comes to serving you and your horses. For listeners of this podcast, Kylie is offering a free 15-minute consultation call. You can contact her by email at crossbowequinellc at aol.com. That's crossbowequinellc at aol.com with the subject line Mustang 20. To get in touch and book your free equine business consultation, email crossbowequinellc at aol.com. Thank you. And now a message from one of our sponsors. Shelby's Homemade Creations. I, Shelby, started this small business in hopes of having a fun hobby and turning my little dream of having a small business into reality. In my online store, I sell an array of soaps and are all natural, made from both glycerin and shea butter, based with essential oils added for scent and some health benefits. I do have a surprise coming this winter with a new base option. Candles are all made from all natural soy wax and the scents are all essential oils to help put a natural scent in the home without burning harsh chemicals that are in other candles. Candle melts, these are my favorites. I start with a soy wax base and add in the essential oils for scent and then dye for fun colors. These are then poured into little cartons and ready for the forever homes to be melted. I use this product daily. My wax warmer always has a new scent in it. New to the shop are bath bombs. They are all natural, started from scratch, and scented with essential oils for a nice bath time aroma. Lastly, the newest addition to the shop is lip balms made from all natural beeswax. I start with melting the beeswax and then adding some coconut oil and essential oils, then letting them dry in either a tube or a tin, then they're off for their forever homes. There is something for everyone at www.shelbyshomemadecreations.com. There's a tons of scents ranging from sweet to savory, one to fit each and every person. Now, Shelby sent me some scents and some candle melts and by far my favorite ones have to be snickerdoodle and citrus paradise so head on over to www.shelbyshomemadecreations.com and find your scent and you will be pleased thank you so much if you're interested in adopting a mustang or burro or are looking for resources please visit blm.gov programs 
and select the Wild Horse and Burrow column to learn more. If you are not in the position to adopt, please share this podcast with a friend and start a conversation. If you would like to donate to our Wild Horses and Burrows, please visit mustangheritagefoundation.org slash donate. Thanks for listening.